Get to Old Navy now for February's biggest style steal. 40% off all jeans and tees. Jeans start at just 18 bucks for adults, 12 bucks for kids. With tees from just 7 bucks for adults, 6 bucks for kids. All jeans and tees are on sale, even your favorite rock star jeans. All jeans and all tees are 40% off right now. Don't miss out. Run into Old Navy and OldNavy.com today. Valid 211 to 221 excludes in-store clearance jeans and tees. Active licensed and men's package tees. Run into Old Navy Saturday and Sunday for 50% off all Old Navy active styles for adults and kids. They're all 50% off. But hurry, it's Saturday and Sunday only at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 215 to 216 excludes in-store clearance and baby. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wasn't a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. Look, it was given. Sasquatch Chronicles, a place where people share their encounters. Let's start the show. There's new DNA information on the Paracas elongated skulls. That's a, a, a group of skulls, 300 of them, that were excavated in Peru in 1928. Now, you can see from the pictures that they're abnormal looking. There's a, the, 300 of these skulls that were found buried together, and they all have these abnormal heads. And So the, my, my first reaction when I saw this was, Oh, but there are some cultures where this is considered beautiful and right. cultures actually elongate their skulls. Yes. But tell us a little bit about why that is not the explanation for this. Well, this is what they're finding. First of all, in, in regards to that, the, the capacity uh, the, inside the skull is larger than a normal human skull. So if they were to do that, what you're mm-hmm. talking about, it would reshape the skull, but it wouldn't change the volume of the brain inside the skull. These are 25% larger and 60% heavier. That Ooh, much... Ooh, 60%. 
yeah. It's a huge difference. And, and that, that alone is enough to make you go, mm-hmm. well, what's, what's well, going mm-hmm. on there? But the DNA evidence that came out, uh, to put this in perspective, these skulls are 3,000 years old, and the, the pyramids of Egypt are around 4,000 years old. And uh, what they came out with was this. The researcher, who is, uh, who is uh, named Brian Forster, he hired a DNA uh, geneticist to look into this who said this. It had mitochondrial DNA with mutations unknown in any human primate or animal known so far. But a few fragments I was able to sequence from this sample indicate that if if these mutations will hold, we are dealing with a new human-like creature, very distant from the Homo sapiens, Neanderthals, and Denisovans. I am not sure it will even fit into the known evolutionary tree. Uh, so this is incomplete. It's not an entire. He's saying that the it's not samples an entire that he's DNA gotten. Yeah. There's this indication that yes, these are there's uh, some human-like DNA that they cannot connect to previously known DNA, and and of course a lot of people skeptics are going to you know criticize the actual test or the methods of the test or the you know which um, which they should you know. Sure. Yes. But you know, even 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 the the part about the volume of the of the volume of the brain and the weight of it is enough to make it, to make me lean in the direction of yeah. like, okay, there might be something. Yeah, even there. even visually, I mean, these things look photoshopped. They're so unlike any human skulls. Like they, I, I, that does. I mean, so incredibly long. Yeah, and there's the three hundred the entire population of this hair? area. Yeah, it, this isn't compared Whoa. with a normal human skull. And as you said, the, the you know the um, skull modification that certain uh, cultures do, um, some suggest that it is to emulate these older mm-hmm. this older civilization mm-hmm. because they were uh, superior in a way. So the elite would try to make themselves look that way. That's what's being mm. supposed. I'm not saying I believe that, so don't go flaming me down in the comments, <laughs> all right? Uh, Forster says this. From the doctors that I have spoken to, they have said that you can alter the shape of the skull, but you cannot increase the size of the skull. The skull is genetically de- predetermined to have a certain volume. And um, he, he's saying, you know, he needs more money to do a full a full genetic uh, genome study, which would cost about $100,000. So he's trying to raise the money to do that, look for an angel investor. Until then, he says, um, I've had many different ideas, but I've been waiting for actual DNA analysis, and this has taken an incredible long time, mainly due to lack of funding. But he says his intent is simply to find the truth as to who these people were. I find it fascinating. Absolutely. I want to know. So... um, I hope, we, I hope we find out more. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Got a great show planned for you this evening. I'll be bringing Ron Moorhead on. Most of you remember him from the Sierra Sounds. Here's a little clip of the Sierra Sounds.
And that's the Sierra Sounds. Remember, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. And if you get a chance, uh, visit sasquatchchronicles.com. Uh, become a subscriber. Get additional shows throughout the week. Uh, again, I'm still finding this cold, so please forgive my voice tonight. I wanted to invite Ron back to the show. Uh, Ron and I are pretty good friends. Uh, he's one of those guys I can always call up and shoot ideas off of him. You know, when I've had a strange encounter uh, or I've talked to a witness that, um, you know, I'm really not sure what to make of it. Ron's been doing this for way longer than I have. And it's nice to have people uh, that you can call. And, and Ron's one of those guys. He always picks up when I call and, and I'll say, hey, Ron, what do you think of this? Or what's your take on this? And uh, he always gives me his honest feedback on what he thinks. And sometimes, while we may not always agree on certain things, on, on our theories, uh, at the end of the day, I think we both, you know, understand that we, we could be wrong on a lot of things. And I, and I always respect Ron, always respect him as a person, respect his thoughts, his views. And this is a perfect example of, while you may not agree sometimes with someone, uh, you can definitely respect them. And so, uh, again, Ron's a close friend. I'm glad he came on. I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, go a little bit off trail tonight and talk about these Paracas skulls. Uh, we'll be talking about Bigfoot tonight too as well, but I really wanted to get his take on the Paracas skulls. And as some of you heard in the, in the intro, uh, what the Paracas skulls are, Ron had a chance to go down to Peru and actually look at them firsthand and talk to um, people locally about what these skulls are and, and how they came about. Always wanted to do a show on this, and so I'm very happy to uh, have Ron on tonight. Well, let's go ahead and welcome Ron to the show. Ron is the author of Voices in the Wilderness, also known for the Bigfoot recordings, a.k.a. the Sierra Sounds. Uh, Ron is always kind enough to allow me to use his sounds I do a lot of uh, retelling of historical Sasquatch encounters, and so I, I, I do appreciate you letting me use those, Ron. Ron also has a new book coming out this fall. It's called The Quantum Bigfoot. You can visit his website at ronmoorhead.com, and I highly recommend everyone to uh, go to the website, check it out, check out his research, and if you get a chance, get uh, these Sierra Sounds, the Bigfoot Sounds, uh, Volume 1 and 2. Ron, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you, Wes, for asking me. It's my pleasure. Oh, I just love talking to you. It's good. It's good to sit here and just talk, you know. <laughs> yeah, actually, the information on my new book, which uh, I haven't really put on my website yet, it's on the uh, my Facebook, uh, RonaldJ.Morehead on Facebook. Uh, anyway, uh, I haven't said much about it other than just announced it the other day. So thank you for mentioning it, though. Yeah, absolutely, and I'll have to have you back when it comes out. I'm always interested in your theories and your take. I know you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I'm, as I was just saying before we went on air, I'm jealous of your trip to Peru. I've always been interested in the Paracas schools uh, for a long time. Uh, tell me about your interest in the Paracas schools. How did that come about? Well, I uh, uh, talked to a guy named L.A. Mazula who, was, who uh, invited me to go down there with him on an expedition. He heard about the sounds. He's into the Nephilim, the biblical giants of old. And that was a cross between aliens and uh, and humans, uh, according to the biblical scriptures. Anyway, and he's uh, he's into trying to establish that scientifically. 
and if, if it can be established. So anyway, I, I wondered sometimes if maybe the enigmas associated with Bigfoot up here wouldn't have something to do with the enigmas that you see down there and the uh, all the interesting things. So I went down there with him in 2013. We was down there, I think, three weeks, maybe something like that, and maybe four. And I went down again in 2014 and uh, went into Bolivia then, too, and we visited the Paracas skulls again. And uh, anyway, I got an exact copy of them from a guy named uh, Joe Taylor who went down with us, and they allowed him to uh, to actually uh, copy one. He's a forensic uh, uh, paleontologist, I guess you call him, and uh, came out really well. So uh, they're quite unique, and uh, love to talk about them. They're they're not human. I can tell you that. We had scientists with us, two different scientists on each trip. And we weighed them. Uh, we got into a private museum because you can't do much of that in the uh, public museums. Uh, they won't let you touch them or even look at some of them. Uh, so anyway, uh, what can I tell you about them? They're elongated. Uh, if you've seen pictures of them, they were not cradle boarded, as they call it. Cradle, cradial, cranial deformation is <laughs> a proper word. And that's when the Incas were copying these the pre-Inca people, the Paracas people, uh, we call them. And they were cradleboarding their royalty to try to get the same uh, shape that these uh, non-human skulls were. And uh, they was doing that, we believe, to uh, to maybe get the same attributes they may have had, which was, we think, responsible for the megalithic structures down there, which removed hundreds, hundred-ton boulders removed for miles and miles and miles up on top of a hill and cut like a jigsaw puzzle with some type of a method that's unknown today even. Anyway, placed together like a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, no no mortar, uh, just perfectly matched. And some of the walls we've seen in some of the other areas, uh, they were five foot thick and just as matched just as well on the other side of the wall. <laughs> so what did that, how they did it is, is a mystery. Yeah, it's interesting. When you look at these elongated skulls, and they're found all over the world. It's not just Peru. Uh, they find them in Egypt. You know, I think they, the Incas and the Mayas tried to, or the Mayans tried copying them. Kind of like, I guess, what you would think of kids today copying celebrities. Yeah, they did copy them. Um, we know they were not human because of the, uh, well, the forensic we did on the skulls themselves. Uh, they have a, a sagittal you know, humans have a sagittal suture through the top of their head in the parietal area. We have two parietal bones on top of our head. You have the occipital in the, in the front and the uh, cra- or cranial in the front and the occipital in the back. These do not have a sagittal suture. It's just one, one, one skull, one parietal. And uh, that makes them kind of unique. And in the back of a lot of them, there was two little pinholes, which we don't know what it was for, uh, but they're unique and they weren't from uh, deformation or for uh, trepidation I should say which is what a lot of ancients did uh, when they had a headache they'd knock a hole in their head try to relieve the pain yeah it's it's interesting when I looked into this a while back what I found was even on some of these schools it looked like brain surgery had been done on some of these schools they have you know you mentioned the two holes but I know some of the other ones I looked at you know they had brain surgery it looked like they had done brain surgery on them which is shocking Absolutely, yeah. You can see, yeah, you can see it. And you can see where it's tried to heal up on some of them, and uh, but these holes in the back of these skulls, uh, just two pinholes, uh, pretty much in the same spot on several different ones. 
they're just pinholes. They're not like uh, something punched them with a, a knife. It's like they were there naturally. And uh, don't know what that was all about, but these things certainly, uh, we think, had some uh, some features about them that uh, could make things happen that we don't know how. They had the secret of levitation or vibrational waves or something because they, uh, they had to get those boulders there by some means uh, other than what we know. Yeah, and, and that's interesting that you mentioned that because as you look around the world, a lot of these old structures, you know, we can't even duplicate today with the equipment we have and all the technology we have we can't move these boulders i think it's interesting when you look at these schools i know the first thing a lot of people will say as you had mentioned ron it's uh, uh cranial deformation but these particular schools especially the ones in peru they're a lot larger the brain was a lot larger um, i think they were 60 percent heavier than a normal human school you know you can alter a skull to copy this, but you can't make a skull physically larger. You can't add volume to a skull. Or the brain. <laughs> or the brain. <laughs> That's what they were after. Yeah, if they if they elongated the skull, it, it might have made it look like that, but it wouldn't have given any more brain matter. And that's what I think they were after, is trying to figure out what it took to get the, get the same features these things had, to be able to do what these things probably did. So anyway, kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. When you look at them, my first thought when I very first saw them is I was thinking, that looks like a gray alien skull because even the eyes are bigger. Mm-hmm. Everything's bigger about these skulls. When you were down there, did they talk about the physical size of these people? I mean, were these people just physically larger or is there a theory on that? No, they weren't physically larger. They were uh, they were probably five to six feet and just like we, like us, <laughs> we. <laughs> But uh, even though tombs, we were in some graves that, um, well, we're not supposed to do that, but we did it and uh, found some some remains. And, uh, no, their, their femurs, everything was about the same as a regular man. So that, now, there has been reports of giants being found down there and giant bones being found. We didn't find any. Uh, the Wakeros, that's the grave robbers that uh, took us to a couple spots, they told me through an interpreter that they found an eight-foot-tall one once, but uh, they don't think a lot of, They're after the artifacts there. They're after the jewelry. They're after whatever gets them money that they can sell to a private museum. And I tell you what, they're all over down there. Uh, and in fact, in Ecuador in 2013, I just read this article recently, uh, they found, I think it was seven or eight bodies of, of giants, uh, eight-foot, seven, eight-foot-tall, and evidently, they did turn them over to the Germans, who were supposed to be doing some forensic study, but I, I've lost trail of it there. I haven't heard a thing about it, and it's been a couple of years now. So they ought to be coming out with something on that. But they found those in Ecuador, just above Peru. I'm always amazed, too, when these giant skulls and these giant skeletons just up and disappear. You know, as you go through the historical record, isn't it shocking that they just disappear? <laughs> well, they don't really disappear. The government takes them, I think, and uh, they just hide them. And I don't know why. I think there's a conspiracy, to be honest with you. I've been into Winnemucca at the uh, Lovelock Caves four times, and I've been into the museum over there. I've been trying to research that, and they'll tell you, oh, they weren't giants, they weren't giants. But you see one of the old pictures of the of, that was taken of, in, of the giants. I guess you've heard that story, haven't you, about the Paiutes that warred with the uh, cannibalistic giants in Nevada? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's uh, most a lot of people know about that story. The Paiutes swore up and down; they were hairy, they were big, they were cannibals, 
and they ran as many as they could into this cave and burned them out, basically, and shot them as they came out with arrows. Anyway, it wasn't until 1911 when they uh, discovered these remains, when uh, guana miners uh, were taking the bat guana out. They came under about four or five feet underneath the bat guana was these remains of artifacts. And, of course, the Paiutes moved in there after they killed the giants out. But uh, really, the skulls they found uh, were much bigger than humans. And uh, I saw pictures of them. And it's just, uh, I, I wanted to research Peru because I wanted to see if those elongation, because a lot of people report uh, sagittal crests and sagittal features, you know, elongated features on Bigfoot. And I thought maybe that might have something to do with what's happening up here because there are stories in the uh, Incas where they warred with the Central America uh, Aztec. And the Aztec actually have stories, and Mayans do too, of warring with giants in the north. Well, there you got it, going right into North America. So those stories, uh, I think, it chases down into North America, and then you can, you can also, you know, about the minaret skull. I'm sure you've heard about that. That got lost, strangely lost, by UCLA. It's gone. Al Barry and I went in on an expedition to try to find that. It was a, a large skull. Have you heard about that skull, Wes? I haven't. Tell me about it. Well, uh, Doctor Benton, uh, Denton, excuse me, from from uh, Bishop. Uh, Nevada went into with a Boy Scout group into uh, the minarets in the Sierras, and uh, they had a, a mule with them and uh, a pack mule, and it kicked up some bones or a bone, a skull basically, and it was huge. And Doctor Denton uh, looked at it. He sent it off to UCLA to have it studied, and uh, that's where it's lost. They just the report that got back was that it's probably some Native American. It was. Uh, uh, what they call it, uh, I forgot now the term, but uh, where the skull is just bigger. But it was uh, it was something that shouldn't have got lost, whatever it was. And it should have gotten, it's probably somebody, some professors down somewhere for an ashtray. <laughs> Who knows? But all those things seem to get uh, taken away. Um, they, they go through this uh, uh, act that was passed in 1998 that uh, says that we can't view human remains. And uh, those are supposed to be human remains. That's why they've taken all the giants away. Uh, only a Paiute or a, a Native American can claim them and give them a rightful burial. But then they got to bury them if they claim them. So anyway, uh, all that stuff gets lost. I don't know if you know Jim Barrera or not, but I've, I know him. He's uh, spoken. I think he's got a TV thing going on, too. But he's got all kinds of information on giants in North America that have been found. And they just all get taken away into the Smithsonian, locked up, never seen again. And I think the government uh, has got to keep a, a lid on all this because it's going to throw a kink into, I think this is why they do it into religions it'll throw a kink into darwinism because it's it's just something different and what i've chased down is what i think is different about them and that's that i do believe that bigfoot is a hybrid he's a cross between something and something else basically uh, some type of a primate and possibly there's been some alien intervention into a dna manipulation in the past somewhere that's created these things because they are sentient as most people know by now, that uh, the sounds that I've recorded has language in them, according to cryptozoology, or cryptolinguists, excuse me, Scott Nelson studied them. 
And he's a professional. He does this. He's did it for 30 years. He's got thousands of hours uh, listening to voice transcriptions and making voice transcriptions. But he's, he's declared that they have language <clears throat> by the human definition of language. Now, a lot of things can talk back and forth like, a, like whales communicate, dolphins communicate, all animals communicate. But to use cognizant language like these things do, only humans are supposed to have that. And that makes them into another realm as far as I'm concerned. Because I think we're hybrids, <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, in talking about the language, you know, I tend to agree with you. I mean, even the uh, insider I had on recently, Chris was talking about how they do have a language. It's more than just whoops, grunts, and moans. It's They do talk back and forth together. It is it is definitely a language. I, You know, and it's interesting as you talk about the giants and stuff. I've done a few shows on this. And when you look at it like what the Native Americans talk about regarding cannibalistic giants and some of the old tales that they tell, uh, we, I think sometimes I've done this personally, we lump everything into Bigfoot. They may not necessarily be talking about Bigfoot. Some of these other things, whether it was a Nephilim or whatever they were, they were fighting giants back then. And they talked about them eating people and just being vicious. Mm-hmm. Vicious, vicious. And there definitely is some sort of cover-up. I tend to agree with you on that. Do you think that's why anthropologists aren't looking into, say, for example, the Paracas skulls? I mean, this is one of the biggest discoveries of our time, and no one really seems to be looking into it. <laughs> well, they can't get funding. i tell you, I, I've talked to scientists. I know them. I know a lot of these guys. I talk with them in meets. I, I, I've been around the world with a couple of them. Or not around the world, but over into some pretty foreign places but uh they will not if they even approach something like this they will not get funded and it can affect their career because uh, it's a cartoonish type sound bigfoot you know it, it doesn't sound like something you would uh, pay attention to but for some reason uh they don't they lose their funding if they attack this now we've been very fortunate with dr meldrum and Benenegel and a few others who who have tried and worked towards this, but they got to be careful. They got to stay within the classical scientific box that they've, uh, where they can get funding to to work on things. Uh, but to get uh, some of these guys to pay attention to this is like nailing jello to the wall. They just don't, uh, and it's because I think because of their their training and, and the, their tenure, everything about their education is on the line and their future. So until somebody like Brian Forrester, who's down there and trying to bring this to light, he's, he was our guide down there, he's got a lot going on with uh, all over uh, discovering this stuff. And until someone really breaks out and says, I don't care what happens, I'm going to put a finger on this. <laughs> and they do some studies, because we're trying to get DNA out of some of it, but you can't get it out of Peru. Now, the Germans did, those just, uh, ones I told you about earlier, the uh, giants that they found in Ecuador, uh, we'll see if they come up with something there, but then it gets kind of just put on the back burner, uh, uh, just like so much does. Even, well, Melba Ketchum's gotten, gotten a bad rap, I think, but I think her study may turn out to be uh, more than what people think of now. It, it's She's a geneticist, you know, that did the DNA on, on uh, yeah. supposedly Bigfoot findings, so... But what she came, what she came up with is right where my theory goes and where it's been, and it's kind of interesting where the uh, the genome uh, basically is different, and it's got a human uh, mitochondrial DNA, 
which which we have, all, all humans have that, obviously, but the nuclear DNA, the male counterpart to all this, is unknown. You know, uh, we can chase ours down. It's just, Anyway, she did all that and uh, said, that, well, there's no known species that it came from, the, the male counterpart. And that kind of throws a curve into science because that doesn't fall into evolution, doesn't fall into Darwinism, it doesn't fall into categories that they've got to put something in. Yeah, it makes you wonder where, talking about Bigfoot, where it comes from. You know, I had my insider, and I spent a lot of time talking with uh, that person. And one of the things that, that Chris had mentioned was they are definitely doing DNA manipulation on these things um, and creating other things. And and it's not too far off to believe that that's going on because you can see all of the transhumanism going on today, all of the... Just a different manipulation, people trying to live longer, people trying to be above human, I guess. And you see a lot of that going on today. But going back to what, what Chris was saying, you know, they have altered these beings. And so I always wonder if someone gets DNA from a Sasquatch that has been manipulated with, what would they see? What would they, you know, is it the original ones that were here or is it... It's just this big mystery, you know. And so even Chris said if someone ran the DNA off of one that had been manipulated with, it would make no sense when the uh, geneticist ran it because it would just, there would be things that wouldn't add up. Mm -hmm. You're leading right into what I believe. I believe there's more than one type of these beings out there. Uh, Some are good, some are bad. Uh, But some have been manipulated uh, through DNA and... uh, I think some of them are from a long time, remnants from a long time back. They could have crossbred with natives, which made them a little more human than, than what some of the others might be. But I believe the, the government may be involved with some type of DNA manipulation. Uh, they've always played around with stuff like that, as long as they've had the technology anyway. And it's not a far-fetched thing to think if aliens have been here, and I'm sure they have been from what I've seen, that they haven't done some manipulation with the DNA too of, of primates of some type and all kinds of animals according to Greek mythology so it's kind of fun looking into all this you know it really is Wes uh, because it's it's a it's a mystery and it's fun to try to solve those mysteries isn't it yeah no it's a blast to look into some of the stuff and some of it's kind of terrifying when you look into it you know it makes you for me and I don't know if you feel this way Ron for me when I start looking into some of the stuff like the Paraka skulls and these elongated skulls and these giants um, and Sasquatch, it makes me think our human history isn't quite what we've been told. Uh, The history of mankind is completely different than what you'll find in a textbook in in a college somewhere. You know, even like the the Paraka skulls. I know in Austria there was a woman that died that had a form of uh, cranial deformation, and I think she died like 400 A.D. And even in like in the Middle Ages, royal Europeans were copying what you find in the practice schools. And it's like, why are they copying this? As you looked into it, who do you think these people were that, with regard to the practice schools? I think they were alien, basically. They're not human, whatever they were. How they got here, I don't know uh, for sure, because nobody does. But there's a lot, lot of enigmas down there. You've got the Nazca area. You know, there's mountains down there that the whole top of it's missing. I mean, it hadn't been graded off. It's just gone. And you, I flew over all that. And it's just, 
the stuff you see down there is just like the cradle bore of the world or something. There, when you see a graveyard, I went through a graveyard. I uh, went partially anyway. It was seven miles uh, long. This grave site, and all you've seen, for as far as you could see, is a mound and a little hole. A mound and a hole. That's where the Wakaros, the grave robbers, are uh, digging up, looking for artifacts. And where they find the really good artifacts is in the uh, royalty uh, uh, graveyards, and those are sealed off now because they were getting robbed so much. They're guarded. Like we went to where we could just see one, and a guard came up and said, "You can't even take a picture of it," <laughs> which was really strange. And uh, we we had a guide with us too from a local museum, and he anyway almost got us all arrested. But <clears throat> that, regardless, uh, they protect that stuff now. The government does in all these areas for some reason, and uh, I really don't know why they are so stingy with that because we could learn so much if we took some DNA but I don't think they want us to know so much are the Paraka schools are they open to the public for display yeah they're in private museums mostly down in Paracas they call them Paracas schools because that's where they're mostly seen uh, you can see them pretty much everywhere though over Peru and Bolivia too uh, I saw a really big one in, in uh, Bolivia uh, from a private guy who found it in his yard, uh, buried. He actually is close to uh, Pumapuku up there, uh, close to Lake Titicaca, and he's digging for a foundation for his home and found out he was uh, basically living in a close to a graveyard, right there on a graveyard. So he stopped putting his house there. But anyway, there's a big skull there, just elongated, just like these others. Uh, it was bigger. Is you do have a, a museum in, in Lima, actually. Not Lima, excuse me. Uh, I forgot the name of the town now, but it's south of, uh, of Paracas, southeast of Paracas. But you can get in there and look at them, but they're behind glass, and uh, they're elongated, but you can't study them. You get in these private museums, and they'll let you pick them up and look at them, and that's what we went into in Paracas. And, uh uh, we got to got to weigh them. We got to take them apart. Actually, there was a, a baby there, a mummy, mummified one. It was taken out of a tomb with two others, and we think it was a mother, father, and a baby. And this baby uh, was. Uh, we brought a forensic dentist in to give us an assessment of what uh, he thought the age was. He thought it was between 14 and 18 months old. And uh, I've got a copy of that one too. And it's just not human. There's no parietal, uh, I mean, there's no sagittal suture in the parietal. It's just one single parietal on top of the head. And uh, the occipital in the back is just strangely different. Are they all red-headed? <clears throat> well, I don't know. Uh, the ones we saw were red-headed, yeah. The baby was red-headed, for sure. And uh, that was after we unwrapped it, very gingerly unwrapped it in front of a scientist with gloves on. Everything was done properly because we was documenting it all. And uh, it, it was red hair growing on that thing. And some of the others we saw in the museum, a lot of them were, didn't have any hair. They, they clean them off. And, uh, but the ones that did have some hair uh, were red, yes. Yeah, it, it just, uh, the whole thing fascinates me. You know, it's who were these people or who were these beings, I guess I should say. And why is everyone around the world trying to copy this elongated skull? What was it about these beings that even royalty, like in the Middle Ages, I mentioned, uh, even royalty was trying to copy this elongated look. And it just makes you wonder, who were these beings? I mean, what, what was it about them? You know, because, you, uh, gosh, you would think you'd see someone with elongated skull today, 
and they'd be a freak in our culture. <laughs> well, uh, to me, uh, what I think is they're trying to copy what these things were able to do. Uh, you get into even the Egyptian pyramids, you know, it's still a little bit of a mystery. They think they got it figured out, but none of that stuff makes sense. You'd have to plan a, one of those 200-ton boulders uh, ever. 60 seconds or something like that to build it in one pharaoh's lifetime uh, something there's some ridiculous uh, equation for that that just doesn't add up somebody knew something and uh, it was genius is what it was and uh, these things are if you've seen those uh, megalithic structures down there all over Peru and uh, there's a lot of them up in Cusco they're all over and you, well also you've got the uh, Mita Picchu which uh, basically I think the uh, Incas actually moved on to that and did some things there after these Paracas people were gone. So we don't really know everything, obviously, but uh, they were trying to mimic the abilities that these things have by elongating their own skulls or the skulls of their royalty. Yeah, it's interesting. Even the uh, Nazca lines, I think there's a famous one. They call it the astronaut. It's got big eyes. And um, I think they, I could have sworn that they say the Paracas people actually created that. Hmm. Well, I don't know who created it. I don't know that they know, but uh, it's been there a long time. And the eyes on these skulls, uh, the sockets anyway, are huge. They're not. They're much bigger than, and so is the mandible. Uh, uh, they're just uh, different than human. I'm looking at one right now on my desk here, and uh, a little creepy. <laughs> yeah, they are. <clears throat> but. Uh, they're able to do things, and I think uh, things that we don't know how to do, and basically it's levitation. It's probably through vibrational waves uh, that we don't know, but uh, we can only guess and, and uh, speculate on what it, was, uh, what it was all about. But again, it's fun. I want to see how it came to Bigfoot, if it did relate to Bigfoot. So basically, I follow the stories that they have all the way up here to North America, and uh, there's a possibility that Bigfoot could be uh, part of something that was a remnant of something that was from these things or from something else don't tell us how many uh, Wes, how many different aliens have been on this earth different types, different kinds uh, a few years ago you got laughed out for talking like we're talking now but uh, I don't care I don't think that's the truth I think if we're kind of naive to think that there's maybe only one type of alien out there that came to the earth I think there's probably different types and they've probably all got much more technology than we have at this point and they probably dinked around with uh, with different animals including humans and uh, primates and all kinds of things so i think there's more than one type of a bigfoot out there you know it's not necessarily crazy talk i think people thought that bigfoot was crazy talk until 10 15 20 years ago mm-hmm. and now today it's becoming more and more accepted but you know you're right you look back at even what the sumerians said and they describe even different beings that came to this planet. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not too far off when you go back and you look at, like you said, the, meg- the megalithical structures. You go look at, historically, the stuff that's still on Earth and how we can't replicate it today. It's not too far off to think we had some sort of help or there was someone that came down and, and did something. And it's, it just blows me away because it seems like it's being so covered up. Everything's being so covered up. Uh, you talk about giants and people think you're crazy. Until you really start looking into some of this stuff and you really start researching it, you realize it's really not that crazy. It's not too far off of some of these theories people have. 
I wanted to uh, switch gears with you and ask you, I had kind of a strange thing happen to me probably a month or so ago or a little bit more. You know, I always thought that people that saw the orbs were crazy. I don't know why I felt that way. I just, I don't want to say crazy. I just had never seen anything like that. And people talked about them. And then I saw it. And we made the mistake of chasing it. And I want to warn people out there, don't chase them because they might chase you back. Uh, (laughs) But when you were up and doing the Sierra Sounds and up in that area, have you ever come across anything like that? Have you ever seen anything like that? Personally, I, I didn't see orbs. I, uh, the other guys did. They had these balls of light actually uh, following them around there at night, uh, the Johnson brothers. And uh, um, they talked to Bill and I, who we went back up later on, and we didn't see those balls didn't come around. But we, we've seen lights, and uh, I don't know that I would call it an orb. But it was definitely round, but it was huge. It was more like a UFO. And uh, there's been other things happen up there at our camp. But uh, an orb, uh, I think, is out of our light scope. It, it kind of our eyes doesn't don't pick them up. Uh, where a camera's uh, light will a flash from a camera, and I've experienced that at Joe Hauser's uh, Montana Vortex. Uh, he I was up there visiting him here a while back, and actually took pictures of them and blew them up. And you can see a definition inside of the orbs. It's like there's a a reason for them. They're not just a ball of light or something. They're, they're basically something going on in those things. <laughs> Looks like anyway. And what I looked at was like a Mayan calendar or something. so intricate. Uh, I, I think orbs may be uh, a pilot ship of some type to, from a UFO maybe who, who is trying to uh, look around because they are everywhere. Uh, you just don't see them with your eyes. But your camera light will probably pick them up. Maybe orb was the wrong definition I used. I guess ball of light, because we actually did see it with the mm-hmm. naked eye. It caught it caught our attention, and I got it on camera. Yeah. It threw us off. It scared us. Well, I, I don't want to say scared us. I was fascinated mm-hmm. by it. We decided to give chase, and then they kind of decided, I guess, to chase us back, which was, it's a really weird, I, I don't, I'm even nervous talking about it, but it was just odd for me because... It wasn't just aimlessly flying around. They they were like being controlled. Oh, yeah. or they had yeah. a sense, you know. Yeah, they they do. I think that's what I that's my my guess anyway. What they are, I think they're just like pilot, like a pilot camera, sort of like a drone we might have. You know that maybe uh, aliens can uh, look and see what a lot of people are doing at the same time. But they're all over uh, these things. At least I've heard. I used to. I used to think like you did about orbs. I didn't give them much until I witnessed these up at uh, Joe Hauser's Montana Vortex. Uh, that was just amazing. And plus, there's been Bigfoot activity up there, so there's something going on. That, and you know, the only thing we can see is what's in our vibrational frequency of light, and that's from zero to 186,000 miles a second. And uh, after that, uh, matter doesn't exist anymore. It's only energy and turns into a vibration. So that's, I'm writing about that now in my new book, Quantum Bigfoot. <laughs> I got into Einstein, I got into all these things and quantum physics. And, and I think this has got something to do with how these things can, because you hear reports of these things disappearing. And I got to think there's a science behind that, if these, unless these people are crazy. And I just can't believe they're all, I've been doing this for, you know, 40 some odd years now. And, and I hear these, I used to just shove those people aside when, when I hear them talk about they saw one disappear, but I don't do that. I don't 
throw anybody aside when they tell me any of these strange things where this orbs are disappearing or whatever because you, nothing's going to surprise me in this field anymore. Nothing. It's just a weird world out there and we live in a three-dimensional world where there's a lot more dimensions and when you get above the speed of light you can get into those other dimensions but you can't see them with your naked eye. Well, and I always wanted to ask you about that because I, I'm kind of like you now, Ron. I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing for me. That's a scary thing, Wes. That's a scary <laughs> thing. <laughs> but, you know, I tend to be more open and more willing to listen to, I mean, I've heard some crazy, crazy stuff, what people would consider crazy, uh, everything from aliens to, um, I mean, I could tell you all sorts of things. But one thing I, I that with regard to the Sasquatch disappearing, you know, I always think, and this is my theory on it, and you could tell me, obviously I could be wrong, um, and you could tell me your thoughts on it, but, you know, you hear so many reports of Sasquatch doing very mundane things. Um, I can give you several examples, like um, I had a hunter one time that he saw Sasquatch pick up a rock, banging it against a tree, and put its ear against a tree, and listen. And it did it a few times, and then it knocked the tree over, and there was a, a possum inside this dead tree. It yanked the possum out, smashed it against the tree, and then ate it. But you hear them do very mundane types of things. And then sometimes you get these really off reports, these really odd reports of it just vanished, it just disappeared. Um, and I'll ask people, well, did it drop down to all fours? I mean, tell me what you mean by it just disappeared. Sometimes they'll say it just vanished. It was in an open field and it just vanished. And oh. I always wonder if people are seeing a true flesh and blood Sasquatch or if they're running into something demonic. You know, uh, demons are known as tricksters. Demons are known for, I mean, you read the Bible, it tells you all sorts of things to watch out for with demons. And so when I look at that, I always wonder, are they, did they see a Sasquatch or did they see something else? I mean, have you looked into that? Have you thought about that? Oh, yeah, a lot, because I've heard the stuff, same stuff you have and different stories and going forever with it. But I I don't know. You know, I, I think there's good ones and there's bad ones. Uh, the only way uh, demonic something can get into a bodily form is if that bodily form allows it, because uh, it's a spirit otherwise. It's caught up in, a, uh, it's caught up in a, another dimension. Basically, I think when these things, if they can disappear, they've learned how to change their vibrational frequency. And if you can learn or know the vibrational frequency of anything, you can move it or change it. And I think that's the secret to Christ's miracles, too. He, your thoughts can go faster than light. And once you go faster than light, anything, uh, things change. And if you can learn the vibrational frequency of anything... I think you can make it happen. You can change it. You can make things alter with it. And these things uh, somehow, and I'm still looking into all this, have learned, I think, how to, at least some of them, how to change their vibrational frequency so they're out of our light range. And uh, that may sound a little bit uh, strange, but <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm thinking because you're talking about people who see a spaceship, too, or a UFO, all of a sudden just shoots away so fast and it's just out of sight. Well, did it really go out of sight or just go out of their their sight? It went out of their sight, obviously. But uh, it's we just see what's in our light range. Without light, you wouldn't see anything. Think about it. Yeah, I mean, even a blade of grass has a, a certain frequency it vibrates at. So you're right. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, 
it's interesting. I, I'm I'm a student of the quantum physics, and I, I love that topic too as well. And I'm into I guess I'm into a lot of different things. So I'd be interested in reading your book. When's your book come out? I hope it comes out this fall. That's what I'm working. I've been working on that this winter while I'm while I'm not out in the field. But uh, let me give you a, something I just pulled up on a PowerPoint program. I, I'm, I'm speaking in uh, in Kennewick, Washington, here uh, next weekend. It's the weekend of the fourth, the fifth, uh, at uh, Tom Cantrell's event, and I'll be presenting this PowerPoint program there. But I get in more. I change this about every every year, or so I'll or sometimes twice a year my my program. As I learn things or think I've learned things, I I uh, put them in my program off of this as an idea for people, but Einstein said, everything is energy. Match the frequency of the reality you want, and you cannot help but get that reality. It can be no other way. This is not philosophy. This is physics, Albert Einstein. And uh, that's kind of interesting. He got another one that says this, uh, concerning matter, we've all been wrong. What we have called matter is energy, whose vibration has been so lowered as to be perceivable to the senses. There is no matter, Albert Einstein. Now, what do you think about that one? <laughs> it's just vibration. And it's been so lowered so we can perceive it with our senses. And we've been made that way as humans. It's uh, kind of like everything's a hologram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No, nothing's real till it's observed. Now, that's, that's pretty much the law of quantum physics. How do you get your head around that one? Nothing's real till it's observed. No, it's interesting. It's uh, I love that. I love quantum phys- physics, and I just, you know, it's it's fascinating, and it makes you wonder. There is a lot of mysteries in this world, and I'll be the first to say I haven't gotten it all figured out. And I think it, the moment you feel you think you have everything figured out, there's always something that throws you a curveball. There's always, especially even in the Bigfoot world, uh, in this whole topic, you know, there's been many times where I think, aha, I figured it out, and then next week I realize I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it goes on and on like that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you. You've been doing this for a long time. Do you ever go back up to where you guys got the sounds? I've tried. Uh, there's been something keep me back each year. Uh, if it isn't a something falling on my foot just at the last minute and breaking my foot or my toe, <laughs> it's a, quite a hike in there. It's been something else. There was a fire one year uh, that had the roads blocked off to get up into that area. It didn't burn the area though. And uh, uh, last time I was up, uh, I think, was 2012 and uh, maybe 2011. I want to get back up this year. But now it's in California, and I live in Washington State. A lot of stuff going on here, uh, which I want to get into. It seems like you just don't have time to do everything. And uh, I don't, anyway. Here I'm supposed to be retired from business, and I'm busier now than I ever was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, I'd like to take you down to Texas and uh, experience some of the stuff going on down there because it's it'll blow you away, some of the things going, down, going on down there. You know, one of the things I always say on the show, and I know a lot of people have a hard time with it, I, I always love for a mystery to end. You know what I mean? I, I want a mystery to end. And I always say that, and I, I even have a hard time saying it, but I feel like one of these things should be shot. One of these Sasquatch should be shot. And brought in. And I've learned over probably the last couple months through insiders and people in the military I've talked to, that's already been done several times. And people are silenced when that happens. Do you think we'll ever get to the 
mystery of of Sasquatch? Well, eventually we will. Uh, the the downside of that is it may not be a good ending. Uh, if these things are here, what I project for. Uh, I'm not a religious person, but there's some definite uh, prophecies, biblical prophecies, and different cultures too. That, talk about the end times and why these things stay so hidden when they're obviously more dominant than us as far as size, strength, uh, they have language, they are cognizant, everything about them is more than what we appear to be, not more than what we are, but more than what we think we are, let's put it that way. And uh, there's a reason they stay hidden, and there's a reason they're not coming out and really allowing themselves to be uh, known. And uh, I've wondered that for 40-some-odd years because these ones up in the Sierra that I dealt with, and the last one I dealt with was in 2011. Definitely an encounter, and uh, yet it wouldn't come out and let me see it. And it was uh, almost, it was daytime. Tell me about that. I never heard that encounter. Well, it's the last thing I write about, pretty much the last thing I write about in my Voices in the Wilderness, my book. And uh, Scott Nelson, the cryptolinguist, and I had been up there three times that summer, about a week each time, come out and get a shower, resupply, and go back up, and nothing happened. He had his recorder 24-7, nothing you could definitively say was a Bigfoot anyway. And uh, I, after Scott had to go back to Missouri where he teaches, I, I still wanted to go back up and find out these things, maybe they're gone, maybe they're not up there anymore. And uh, I had a guy going to go up there with me and he backed out the last minute and uh, so I went on up by myself which is not you know, really shouldn't be doing that because a lot of things can happen not Bigfoot wise but there's a lot there's a lot of ways you can get hurt up there and no help you're way back in, in the wilderness but uh, I set up a little tent when I got to camp I took enough food for for three days I backpacked in and uh, mosquitoes were horrible I uh kept trying to wave them off but I got inside the tent and just zipped it up and started reading and it was afternoon and all of a sudden right outside the tent wham just like a big <laughs> big wood knock right there it's like a gun going off it's so loud and that's that's what they do that's just what they do to get your attention so I waited a few minutes wondering which I'd go out I mean these things going to be out there dance around the circle what's going to happen <laughs> So I, I did. I went out. The mosquitoes were so bad, so I just kept trying to wave them off. And I started talking to it because uh, I know it was there somewhere watching me. And uh, nothing. It wouldn't come out. And I said, I just said, come out and don't come back later when it's dark and try to scare me. You know, because I'm by myself. Of course, I knew that. <clears throat> anyway, I went back in when it started getting dark and uh, zipped up the little tent. Shelter was about to crash in from the from the snow load from the previous winter, so I was sleeping in this little one-man tent. At 10 o'clock that night, uh, by the way, let me back up a little bit, I had uh, uh, my little recorder going with brand new lithium batteries, which I checked out earlier after that wood knock. Everything was fine, I thought. 10 o'clock, I heard this chatter going on. It's a Bigfoot chatter. And I, well, there they are. I started fumbling my tape recorder, trying to turn it on and get it record. At the same time, something banged a barrel right outside my tent. Those old barrels we took up years ago, which aren't there now. But uh, it hit it and uh, started. I heard it walking around, a bipedal, like a two-legged elephant. And it was just, and I started yelling at it. I said, uh, <laughs> sounds silly by yourself, but it's not silly at all when you're there by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, I didn't have a high-powered weapon with me. I think I had a little twenty-two or a little thirty-eight with birdshot. I'm not sure which. But um, anyway, I I kept listening to it, and I think in retrospect, I think it was looking for food, something like because they like our food, they like what we leave for them. Uh, but come right up to the tent right next to me. I heard breathing, and and I was just frozen. I got to tell you, it just it's a little petrifying. No matter how much you try to control your fear, you still uh, you still a little anxiety there, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, I didn't hear it anymore. Whatever it was was just gone. I didn't even hear it walk away, but it was gone. And that was it until 4 o'clock in the morning. By the way, I didn't sleep much that night, needless to say. But at 4 o'clock that morning, I heard this uh, electronic sound. Uh, like uh, I can't even identify it uh, orally, but it's it's like electrical sounds right outside my tent. And uh, that's all. That's all that happened. And uh, it answered my question. My question was, are they still around up there? And so I got up the next morning, and I just packed up and left. So my question got answered, but uh, I want to go back because I think I'm going to try to talk them into letting me know some more things. I, I know they know me, and uh, at least the same family group knows me, and they're not intimidated by anybody, I don't think. But there's a reason they're staying so hidden back from people, and they know I'm not going to shoot at them. Uh, that's not my aura, and I'm sure they know what that is. Uh, there's things you can do to uh, to entice them, I think, and uh, that's what I want to do. I want to stay up there as much as I can if I can get up there this summer and uh, see if I can get a little more data. Yeah, no, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to see that area. This whole topic fascinates me. It's there's so many mysteries in the world, and I always enjoy talking with you, Ron. And and I hope you come back when your book comes out. Sure, just ask me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Ron Moorhead, the author of Voices of the Wilderness. Check out ronmoorhead.com. Uh, I love the Sierra sounds. Ron, thank you for letting me use them when I do retellings of historical accounts. They, it adds to the story when you're telling them. So thank you for letting me use them. Thank you, Wes, for asking me. And uh, I don't want anyone to underestimate what these things could be. Uh, just as a last little note here. They better keep their guard up. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Some of them try to play with you, and some of them might try to eat you. So just... Keep your guard up. We, we as humans got to understand who we are as humans, how important we are, and how special we are as humans. We are dominant on this earth. They cannot, even though they appear to be more, we are the dominant species. And you can command them to leave, and they'll leave. I appreciate you being on, sir. Thanks, Wes. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an uh, encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. And if you get a chance, check out the website, sasquatchchronicles.com. Until next time, hopefully my voice will be back on the next show. I look forward to seeing you guys next time. Thanks for being here tonight. Have a great night, everyone.
Just a human and writer 